My name is Dean Diamond, alcoholic. This guy right here put me to the test. We were at a um, convention, Tri-States, and the bastard lost my cat. Yeah. Lost my Abyssinian cat. Left the door open. And I said to myself, after he figured out the cat was gone, I said, you know, I can either kill him, yell at him, abuse him, or I can put AA to work. And I chose the AA way. And I was so proud of how we interacted yeah. looking for that cat. I was upset, of course, and I was mad, but I wasn't taken out on a person. And it was great. We remained friends after that, and we still are friends. Exactly. And I'm very lucky. I said to you. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. All righty. That's a great story. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, I got sober February 2nd, 1983. I've been sober a little over 40 years. So I'm going to share with you how it was a little bit and what happened and how, what it's like now. I'm going to tell you one story that will indicate, at least indicates to me, how arrogant <laughs> and overbearing and everything that goes bad with a person. I was drinking one day. Actually, I went out shooting guns. And I came home and I was going to clean my guns. That's what you do. And I got to drinking that devil rum. Never drank rum since this day. It was just back in maybe 74, 75. And I always drank into blackouts. I always had blackouts. I say blackouts are a drunk's best friend because you never feel guilty about shit you do when you're drunk in a blackout, because you don't remember it. You can't feel guilty, you know? Everybody else be mad at you. I'm wondering why they're mad. Anyway, I was drinking rum, and I got in a blackout. And the next thing I know is the SWAT team is there. <laughs> and so I tell people, I had, I had dinner with the SWAT team of Huntington Beach. And what happened was, evidently, I was in a blackout, and I decided to make sure, I assumed, that my guns worked after I cleaned them. So I went in the backyard. Huntington Beach is a pretty nice town. And some poor sport called the cops up, because I must have shot off a number of rounds. I can vaguely remember these guns going out. But, and they called me up on the phone. I, looked, I got the police record when I got sober, and I looked at it. And they called me up on the phone, and I love dramatics. I love to be dramatic when I'm drunk. I'm introverted when I'm sober. When I'm drunk, I'm just outrageous. And evidently, they would call me up on the phone. And I'd answer, because, you know, every drunk likes to talk on the phone. And they would say to me something, and I would say, come and get me, coppers. You know, I saw it in a movie once. You know? Come and get me, coppers. And they did. <laughs> my poor wife, she was a German. I'm uh, no longer married to her. By the way, this is my wife over here in the black. Raise your hand. And, and pre <laughs> she deserves your pity. She's married to me. <laughs> anyway, she was coming home from work. And this would really started the whole thing. And I'm a Vietnam vet. Spent three, uh, three and a half tours in Vietnam in the infantry. And I was pretty nuts before I went to Vietnam. And I was genuinely nuts once I left Vietnam. And this was about four or five years after I left. And... They barricaded off the streets, they tell me, evacuated the neighbors. And here comes my wife, and she's wandering through the police line, right? Excuse me, excuse me. She's telling me the story, and then they stop her and ask her, she's going, oh, down there. And she, 
oh, your husband, you guys live down there? Yeah, your husband, he's shooting off guns in the backyard. Oh, he's just drunk. <laughs> he's just drunk. And he does that shit all the time. Anyway, they said to her, this has started the whole ordeal. Is your husband, is he a Vietnam, is he a vet? She goes, oh yeah, he's in Vietnam and airborne ranger. And they said, does he have any guns? And then she says to, me, to him, well, he's got two of those and three of them and a couple of those. The cops walk by armed, right? And they get excited. They back up another block. <laughs> yeah, I'm drunk. I don't know what's going on. I'm missing the fun. Anyway, they came in and arrested me. Knocked the door down. There I was passed out, drunk, and, drunk as a loon on the, on the couch. And I woke up with guns pointing at me. And, and me, being me, I pissed off because I missed the fun. So anyway, they handcuffed me. And they're walking me out. Now, this is the arrogance, the arrogance of a drunk. I said to the guy, because I, I, I know I'm a, I was a pretty violent person. So I said to the cop, because I could vaguely remember these gunshots. And I said, shit, I must have killed somebody. All the cops are going to beat you there. Lights going on, helicopter flying around. And I said to the cop, I said, who would I kill? I was curious, you know, and he said, nobody. You know, I felt a little bit better, <laughs> a little bit better. And then I said, well, who would I shoot and wound? And he said, you didn't shoot or wound anybody. I felt a lot better, man. I started straightening it up, getting my uh, handcuffed, you know. So then I said to him, well, shit, since I'm violent and I'm always in fights, I must have really beat somebody up this time. And he said, I asked him, well, who would I beat up? He didn't beat up anybody. I felt good. And I said to him, in all my arrogance, then why the fuck am I handcuffed? <laughs> yeah. He just looked at me and said, shut up. And I did. They took me to the mental ward at the VA hospital. And <laughs> uh, next day, you know, you know the, the hangover the next day was horrendous. I felt so sorry for myself. Here I am again in a mental ward, in jail in trouble and they asked me how come you're sh shooting guns in the backyard and carrying on i said I i'm under a lot of stress i've had no stress in my life i was under a lot of stress so they said to me well perfectly normal for a guy been in combat as long as you've been in combat here's a lifetime prescription for valium anytime you feel like you're under that stress just take three or four of these things, and I kicked me loose. Here's the arrogance coming back in. I, I think I borrowed their phone to call my wife up to come and get me. This was in the VA hospital in Long Beach, and she lived in Huntington Beach, say roughly 10 miles. I call her, why wasn't she waiting for me, that type of stuff, and she she's European, and they take drunks differently in Europe, Europe than they do here. And uh, so she comes to get me. Uh, here, here's what I do. I walk across Pacific Coast Highway to a liquor store. Get myself a six-pack, sit down in a bus stop, wait for my wife drinking that six-pack. Never gave it a thought. Here I have embarrassed my wife. I had a son that was going to school. Everybody knew about it. Made the neighborhood news. Didn't bother me a bit. 
I was in a blackout. It didn't bother me a bit. I didn't even ask myself, what the hell is wrong with you? I just figured I was nuts. I've had a number of concussions. All that stuff, all those excuses that I could think of. And that was in 74 or 5. I didn't get sober until 83. And between then and 83, I had a whole lot more stuff because I was just warming up. So anyway, uh, in 83, my last drunk, I got drunk as, I always got drunk all the time, and I usually went into a blackout. I got drunk watching the Super Bowl. And I think Super Bowl was a great recruiter for AA. And my son came home and he had done something that was minor and I over-exaggerated it. I made a big deal out of it. And you know, I really loved my son. And I made an ass of myself. Just, you know, over, it was nothing about he did. It was just all me and how he, and, here I am going to the mental ward, being tossed to jail for drunk driving, getting in fights, punched out a guy one time on my front doorstep because he, and knocked out his eye. He had a glass eye. It wasn't my fault, in my opinion. <laughs> you got to tell you this story. He came up. He, my son had done something. He had my son by the back of the neck like this. I opened the door up and I cocked, I knocked the son of his right out. He had one eye. And uh, I, cops came, big deal. But that was me. So I made myself an ass again on Super Bowl Sunday. And it was either the next Monday or the Tuesday after that. I'm in the bathroom, getting ready to go to work. And I looked in the mirror, and for the first time ever, I said to myself, what the hell is wrong with you? What is your problem, son? Why do you act like an ass? Why do you act like a jerk all the time? Why do you get drunk all the time? A voice behind me said, maybe, you have an alcohol problem. That was God. And it scared me to death. I looked, I literally looked around like this because somebody snuck in my bathroom. And I thought about it. And I went down to a, a place, outpatient. We call it just simple outpatient. It before it got macho, it became intensive outpatient. It was just outpatient. And I went down there and they interviewed me. I fully expected they were going to say, Man, you're just nuts. You've got all these concussions. You're just, just crazy as a loon. Keep on drinking. That's the only way you can survive. And Sidney said, you know, you have a problem with alcohol. That amazed me. That was February 2nd, 1983. They had a program. Part of the program was that you went to, that you went to AA. Of course, AA to me, that time, I knew nothing about Alcoholics Anonymous, but yet I thought I knew everything about AA. I knew it wasn't for me. I knew there was low life said I don't want to associate with. I had a job, two cars, a pool. By God, how can anybody in AA match that? They said you had to go. So me and two other fellows, we finally went and uh, Am I speaking good English, honey? That's my English teacher there. I get went and gone confused. So me and these two other guys, we went to the AA meeting. And just like Paul said, is any newcomers here? I didn't raise my hand. My buddy, 
poked me and said, put your hand up. Okay. So they said, would you like to introduce yourself so we can get to know you? The two guys I was with, they introduced themselves. They looked at me and they said, do you like to introduce yourself? I said, no. Mm -mm. I'm not going to introduce myself because I'm not going to be here that long. And that was my attitude. That was my arrogant attitude that I may have had a small problem with, a, with alcohol, but since I quit drinking rum, I only got picked up a drunk driving ticket once and a number of brawls after that. But I, the guy, I remember one thing out of that first meeting, one thing I remember, and I'll pass it on to you. The guy told me, he said, if you want to stay sober, you will attend these meetings the rest of your life. 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago, he told me that. I didn't believe him. I said, this guy's a fool. I might come here for another two or three months and grace you with my presence and my great knowledge. But by God, you won't catch me here in 10 years. Here I am, 40 years later, still coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I've learned about myself, and this is what has happened to me. I don't know about anybody else. I never wanted to stand up in front of anybody, admit to any faults whatsoever. It was not in my makeup. I'm a macho guy. I, I was in the Airborne in the military. I don't know if you guys know what the Rangers are in, there, in the military. They're not the guys you go up to in the Smokey the Bear hats and ask them, where's the bathroom? You don't ask these guys that shit because they will cut your throat. It's a tough outfit. It's 1% of 1% that people go make it through that program. So I, was, I thought I was a very tough guy. I thought I was mentally and emotionally tough. I was dead wrong. When I came to AA, I was spiritually bankrupt, completely bankrupt. The holes of my soul, you could have driven a truck through. Emotionally, I couldn't look anybody in the eye. I was ashamed of myself. And stuff I, I would do when I was drinking, I was ashamed of myself. I would hide it. And I would never admit to anybody that I had a problem with anything. I thought that I could fix it. I thought somehow I was this great human being that just could blow through life. What I realized after a while at Alcoholics Anonymous was, was that I am a very weak person. Emotionally, spiritually, I'm a weak person. I needed God. God didn't need me. I needed God. I am, you're looking at a guy, and take a good look at him, ask me, I am the most. I I should not be here. I am the most luckiest guy in the world. God has been in my life my whole life. As a child, uh, nothing I did after I grew up, I blame on my childhood. But me and my dad used to fight consi uh, consistently and with fists. And my, I didn't know how much until my sister told me because I blacked most of that out. I got kicked out of high school halfway through 11th grade. They were sick of me. I was car in high school there on 35th Avenue. Right before Christmas vacation, they kicked me out. Didn't want me back. 
I didn't care. It didn't bother me at all because I'm like a psychopath. I never think ahead. I'm in the moment. I never think ahead. A week after my 17th birthday, I was in um, uh, basic training in Fort Worth, California. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have kids, but think about if you have a 17-year-old child and how they would do in basic training in the, in the Army. I did great. Did great. They encouraged violence. That was my, that was me. They encouraged um, physical strength. That was, and I was in shape. I was there. Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, like I say, I, I'm jumping around a lot, and that's just how my brain works. You don't want to, don't want to be in my brain, by the way. <laughs> you want out, and I won't let you. But I didn't know. I had no idea that I was a drunk. I never had the, the ability to look at myself and say, what's wrong with you? I was always just stumbling forward. I went to school. I got good jobs. I, I got a job with a worldwide company called Fugro. Most people don't even, don't even know what that company is. I was drunk when I interviewed. Yeah, I interviewed. It was at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I wasn't working, so I just went drinking, and I staggered over to the uh, interview. They asked me, have you been drinking? I said, yeah. They said, why? I said, it's 2 o'clock. <laughs> what else? <laughs> and uh, they hired me, <laughs> which is goofier yet. And then they put me in charge of a nuclear power plant siting study. And uh, that was worse yet. Because the money, nope, the guy that was supposed to keep an eye on me, he liked cocaine and hookers. And we were in Bakersfield. Bakersfield got hookers and cocaine. <laughs> so he never showed me the job. And I won't even go into all the stuff we did there because it doesn't matter. But it was arrogance. It was just so out of control. I was spending money, the company money. And nobody ever said anything to because the Department of Water and Power would sign off. Anyway, I'm in AA, and I am absolutely positive I'm not going to stay very long. And I hooked up with this old boy named Bob, Bob Barnes. He's dead now, AA guy. Bob had 20 years the same year I had uh, one year. He came to me one time, he's from Texas, and he said, You got a sponsor? I don't need no sponsor. He said, I'm going to be your sponsor. And he had a wife, uh, Chris. Now, Chris is somebody you never, ever want to mess with. She was a black belt at Al-Anon. Bob had 20 years sober. She had 25 years kicking his ass, you know. And she, I loved her dearly. She did more for me than he did. I could go to her with any problem, and she would straighten me out. Bob was more of a, well, you just stay sober. If you make that meeting, you'll be fine. No, I won't be fine because I'm still nuts. I ended up falling in love literally with AA. Uh, in those days, everybody smoked. You guys have been around. You know how it was. I maybe emptied the ashtrays. I made coffee. I started chairing a meeting when I had about six months in. We used to have the same as here. We had little dinners every month. And. I, I used to barbecue, I had forsake dinner, so I'd barbecue. And I got to know everybody. I got to realize that I really liked these people. 
I really like AA people. I was just amazed because I don't like people in general. I ignore them. I like the AA people. I liked how they acted. I wanted what you have. I wanted to be that guy or that woman that sat there, looked you in the eye when you were talking, and listened to you. I didn't sit in judgment of you. I wanted to be like that. I didn't know how to. The steps. I've done the first half of the first step 100%. None of the others have I done 100%. I got in the service. And one of the best things I did was I got to chair meetings at San Quentin Prison. And it was about know, 50 miles each way. And I chaired meetings there for maybe a year and a half, two years, not quite. And what I learned there, those people ended up in that prison because they were drunks that came to that meeting. They ended up with 40, 50, 60 years doing the same stuff I had done and hadn't been caught for. Driving drunk, getting in a wreck, shooting up the neighborhood. Sound familiar? That's because I did it. Uh, I started to listen to these guys, and I started to say to myself, my God, I don't want to be in this like that. The best thing I did was go to those meetings and listen to those people. I went to school, I got where I was uh, certified as a uh, drug abuse alcohol counselor for the state of California. They gave, got me a job with prisoners who were getting out of prison. They had to come to my group. And these guys, they were tough guys, not me. They were tough guys. <laughs> And they didn't, they would come to the, they, they, part of their probation, they had to come to meetings. But of course, they had to get a job. And one of the things I did that was the right thing was they would come to these meetings and they would be dirty and filthy because, you know, they're working manual labor jobs. They can't get any other jobs. So I, I went down to Goodwill and I bought, I don't know, 30, 40 shirts. And I gave each one of these guys two shirts. And I told them, you got to show respect to the group. Wear a clean shirt. Carry these shirts in your car. Before you come into this meeting, you put that shirt on. Show respect. Then I had to do the same. I had to show respect. You know, I, don't, I dress like this to go to meetings all the time. I don't just, just dress like this because I'm speaking. Those fellows... I ended up a godfather to a couple of them were just marvelous for my sobriety. I don't know if I did anything for them. They did it for me. They made me a straight talker. They made me, they asked me a question, I had to answer it. They wouldn't take the answer on as an answer. Made me some enemies. I did that for a while and it, was, and it wasn't connected to AA, but I was. I didn't say, well, because I'm doing these groups and all these guys, are, I think they're looking up to me or they're trying to shoot me. Um, I still went to Alcoholics Anonymous, steady. I always went to AA. I started to fall, as I said earlier, in love with the people in AA. I started to just, I could, to this day, I still can't believe this, that I look forward to coming to a meeting. I want to be here. 
I don't want to miss a meeting because something might happen in a meeting that may save my life. If I'm not here, I can't hear it. If there's a miracle going to happen, I want to be there. I have seen miracles in AA. With a guy, you see them, their eyes light up. All of a sudden, they got it. They know they're a drunk, and they know this is a place for them. And that, when I see that, I am so happy. When a person gets a one-year coin, I have more joy than they do. I don't may not have any. I don't have any new with them getting sober, but I'm so happy that they found this program. I'm so happy I get to watch them. And I am. I when I get a coin, I say all the time, "This coin should be chopped up into a thousand pieces." Every one of you should get a piece of that coin. Everybody I've ever went to a meeting with should get a piece of that coin. That coin is not mine. So in Alcoholics Anonymous, I am grateful. I have been become grateful. I don't have bad days. I have days that sometimes aren't as good as the day before. But I'm going to tell you, right now I'm going to tell you, you stay in AA long enough, you will see, looking back, Every year has gotten better. Every year. Every year of my life since I got sober in 1983 has gotten better. When I think it can't get any better, it does. I have peace of mind today. I, in Vietnam one time, I was so disgusted with life in general. We were in the bush and jungle like we always were. I said to myself, you know what? I need time off. I didn't want to shoot myself because that was too obvious, right? You know, self-inflicted wounds, what a punk. So I said, I know what I'll do. I'll just throw this grenade behind my back because I don't want to ruin my beautiful face. So I said, I'll just throw this grenade behind my back when it blows up. Uh, ship me out to the hospital for a couple of weeks, a month or so, and I'll f get some good drugs in me and I'll be just fine. So I did. I threw it behind me, pulled the pin, threw it behind me as a dud. <laughs> as a dud. I said to myself, damn, this is a, you can't even wound yourself on purpose. You're such a fuck up. But anyway, I, um, I have found joy in AA, and I don't like meetings where people are depressed. It says somewhere in a big book where Joy for something lot. I can't remember now. I can't think. It pressures on me to think deep now. I can't do that. Yeah, not a glum lot. We enjoy. Have fun. When I go to A meeting and people are down, I just, you see me here. Charlie, didn't I beat on the table once when I was fucking bored? God damn it, I'm bored. Despite everybody jumped out of the chair. Fernando one time tipped over a chair because I jumped on him. All right, Fernando? Fernando, he didn't introduce himself, and I said, Fernando, you've been in AA on the... I smacked the table, having fun, having fun. Scared Fernando so bad he tipped the chair over. I was happy. I don't know about Fernando. <laughs> but you see, I have fun. I love to make jokes about myself. I enjoy people. We had a meeting once. I won't say who's here. He may want to volunteer. I was on my seven-step tradition wagon. Now, I got a big wagon on that seven-step. I think you're all a bunch of cheap bastards. That's what I think, and I am too. And I was on my wagon. My God, we don't give enough to AA. I've been warming. 
not a practicing Mormon, and they demand 10% of your money before you get taxed. Call a tithe. AA doesn't demand that. I've got more from AA than I ever got from the church. And I give about 0.5% of my money to AA. And I think that's pretty damn cheap. But I was telling them all, and this guy, oh, he got mad, blew up. Who? You don't know what I do and all this other shit. And now I'm in my element. I'm in my element. Now we've got an argument going. I'm in my element. I love it because it's action. And we're still friends today. We're good friends. I was dead wrong. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have ran my mouth out at him. But, hey, you grow, you change, you learn to apologize. I'm going to tell you something else. Make an amends. I had to make amends to my wife there all the time, right? But what I decided was that if I'm going to make an amends, it's going to be for a good reason. <laughs> you know, it ain't going to be for nothing minor. It's going to be for major. Not true. But it sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound good? Making amends. I dislike making amends. So I try not to get myself in a position where I have to. The distance between here and here is a short distance. I've learned through Alcoholics Anonymous to think about what I'm going to say before I say it. Sometimes I don't follow that behavior, but many times I do. Think about what I'm going to say. Why do I have to Criticize a man or a woman to feel better. That's low self-esteem. That's low self-respect. A great shirt he has on there, right? I love that shirt. And I told him, that's a great shirt. Now, 41 years ago, I wouldn't have done that because it would embarrass me, showing, not affection, but showing joy toward another man. Toward a woman, yeah. To a man, no. I have learned in Alcoholics Anonymous how to say thanks. Somebody says to me tonight, you got a great shirt on. I tell them it's because I'm Mexican heritage. I ain't Mexican, but I say that anyway. <laughs> you got a great shirt on, Dean. I don't say, oh, it's just no rag I have hanging in my closet. It's just this. And I say thank you. For me to say anything else, like, oh, it's just a, something I, I wore, is to put that person down. He just gave me a compliment. Thank him. Don't put him down. Don't shrug it off. And that's all, so much I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous that I really can't even think of it all now because I'm not that kind of a, a person where I'm deeper. But I'll give you an example of how AA works. This, this is another one of my crazy stories. I've been sober as an 89 before the big earthquake in California. I was a superintendent on a high rise. I don't know why I told you that. Anyway, I was on the Bay Bridge. Now, this is 89, and I'm still crazy. I'm still crazy. I'm thinking I'm okay. My program was lacking. I didn't know it. I was not living my program. I thought I was because I lied to myself for 20 plus years when I was a drunk. I can still lie to myself today just as easy because that's my nature. So I'm going across the Bay Bridge, and this uh, uh, guy in front of me, threw a, a, a can out of his window, bounced off the car. I went batshit crazy. I mean, 
concrete. I spun up during rush hour, somehow I got around them, slammed on the brakes, jumped out of my car, ran back and ripped his door open. My intent was to throw him off the bridge. And it's only like a 300 foot fall. I have him in a headlock and I'm trying to get him out of the car. He's screaming. I'm telling him about his mother and father and everybody else. And I'm just nutting in a fruitcake, six years sober, five years, six years, something like that. I can't get the seatbelt undone. Everybody's beeping, stopping, watching, beeping because blocking traffic. And it dawned on me, man, you are nuts. So I let go of him. And I said to him, because, you know, I'm pretty arrogant. I told him, I said, you better know how to behave yourself, son. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said to him. And then I got back in the car, and I was utterly embarrassed. I couldn't go fast enough to escape all the people that saw it. They were pulling beside me, and I got my head down. I'm embarrassed because I'm acting like old behavior. My program was lacking. There was something wrong I wasn't doing in my program. I wasn't following the principles of AA. I had to go back to step two and redo it. Do that step five again. Do step four again. Find out why am I acting like this crazy son of a bitch again. So I did not get healthy in AA in decades. I still have moments after 40 years that I'd like to shoot somebody on that freeway. I don't, but I still think about it. Now think about that. I ask other people, you guys ever think about shooting somebody on the freeway? And they look at me and go, oh, no, we just changed lanes. They're liars. No, they're actually telling the truth. I think they're liars because that's not what I do. So they got to be lying. I went to Alcoholics Anonymous and I told that story because I was embarrassed. I said, you know, this is a, the, the Bay Bridge thing. And I said, I am doing something wrong. I am not living like I want to live. How can I change this? Prayer? Prayer works. I can tell you right now. I have... I've always been an angry person. The last five years, it's gone away so much because I pray about it all the time. God, take this away. I don't want it back, but I will take it back occasionally. But then I pray and I admit to it. And it's a, it's a marvelous thing for God, a drunk like me to have peace of mind and calmness and not want to beat people up. It's just amazing. I never, I know for a fact, I never would have gotten that peace of mind anywhere else but Alcoholics Anonymous. I also know for a fact, I never went back out drinking. I got sober February 3rd, 83. I never went back out. And the reason for that is very simple. God, not me, God knew I would never, ever make it back in these rooms. I would die out there drunk. He knew it. He took away that obsession to drink. Took it away within the first few months. I didn't even know it that it had gone away until about two or three months sober. I went to get a pizza. And my wife and I sat down, got a pizza, and I never thought once about ordering a beer. Now, for a drunk like me, that's a miracle. I was present for it. I didn't want a beer. I didn't even think about it. 
Paul and I went to a, that, uh, was it called Cold Brews and Cheeseburgers or something? They got a liquor list as long as my arm. Neither one of us even talked to each other about having a drink. Nobody there cared that we didn't have a drink. The waitress didn't care. We ate. That's the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. To go places, and if you're spiritually fit, it says it right there in the big book, if you're spiritually fit, you can go to anywhere you want to. Anywhere. And you have a reason to be there. We had a reason to be there. We are going to eat. I went into bars where somebody's called me up before they drank. Don't call me after you drink. I got no time. They called me. Dean, I'm thinking of drinking. Where are you at? You know, so, so and so bar. Don't, don't drink. I'll be right down there with you. And if you can convince me your problems will be solved by alcohol, I'll drink with you. I go in that bar. We leave together. Both of us sober. That's another miracle. I I don't know. I I often think about it. I was looking today on that uh, um, what's that uh, icon? Everything AA. And I have like fourteen thousand nine hundred days sober. Fourteen thousand nine hundred days sober, roughly. One day at a time. I never did give up drinking. I have not given up drinking. I postponed it one day at a time. I don't have urges to drink. I go, the only time I think drinking is when I'm in an AA meeting. Alcohol will come up, and I'll think of drinking. I don't think of drinking. I, um, I, like I say, I've been blessed. That's the word I was looking for earlier. I, you're looking at a guy that's been blessed completely, com more than anybody in this world. Take a look at me. I don't deserve any of the stuff that I've gotten since I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous. I can look at it. The, the, the thing is that with God's help, I can look at people. I don't worry about what I said to them. I know I remember what I say to them. And I hurt people's feelings all the time. I hope they feel comfortable coming up to me and say, Dean, you stepped on my toes. It's because that's how I am. I'm a, bear, I'm a little moose. They know I'm going to react appropriately. I'm going to say, tell me about it. Or realize they did it and apologize. They're not going to get jumped on. They're not going to be called names. Yeah, I don't do that stuff. And I always go back to the thing is that if you're a person like me and you don't do those things, your soul fills up with joy. Your spirituality fills up with spirits. You feel good. Get up in the morning. I'm 77 years old. I get up in the morning. I got aches and pains like every old person. I don't have. I don't drink, and I'm thankful I can feel those aches and pains, because if I couldn't feel them, I'd be dead. I'm thankful that I get that. I look over at my wife, and I think, you know, she puts up with a lot of shit from me. Of course, I put up more from her. <laughs> I, I can say that because safety in numbers, right, man? <laughs> but in a relationship, I'm going to have issues because I'm a human being. I have to own my side of the, of the fence. I'll tell you one last story about, and this, this is one that is pretty, it's kind of funny. Before I end this, 
And I appreciate you all staying and not leaving. I used to skydive. I got over 800 jumps. I used to jump out of airplanes for the pure joy of it. I was, I'm scared of heights. I am just, I hate heights. But I would do it for the wrong reason because I wanted people to think I was a macho guy. So I did it. One time uh, in California, there was two jump zones. Um, one was at Lake Paris. It's a little chicken shit town in California. It's not like the real Paris at all. <laughs> anyway, we used to sit around at night. We'd go out there and camp overnight and drink. So one fine night, we were I guess we were drinking. I woke up the next morning, and some rascal, some rotten person had undone my parachute. You know, they, they fit into a little back like, backpack like yay. Had undone it and strung it out. I was pissed. I got up. Had a hair of the dog, a beer, and I said, which one of you, as of the bees, undid my, my parachute? I got to pack it. And they all looked at me, and they said, oh, we jumped last night. I said, uh, me too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was in blackout. I was drunk as a loon. And I had, and they, and they said, and he really pulled low, which means that you're close to earth when the parachute opened, and that's not a good place to be. I had a uh, ripcord handle up here, and it was in a little pocket, and the pocket was ripped. And occasionally, it would come loose and float around behind my head. Now, if you're sober, you just reach back. I can't do it anymore because i got an implant in my shoulder. You reach back, and you just chase it up like that, and you find it, pull it down, bang, you open it. When you're drunk, I guess it's not that easy <laughs> because they said uh, they were positive I was going to plow into the ground. And I, I think it was a floating ripcord. It was a blackout. I don't know for sure. There's nobody around me. Anyway, the parachute opened. I'm here today. Didn't bother me a bit. Did not. We joked about it. I that fucking hey, that dean die. He's just crazy. Don't know what ain't he something pulled over like that? By God, I took pride in that. False pride. Arrogance. Denial. I didn't know there was a problem. Anyway, that's enough of that. I appreciate everybody tolerating me tonight. If you learn something from this, you need to see a psychiatrist. <laughs> that's it. Thank you.